God. We'll just pray. Thank you, Father, for taking thought of us. Thank you that your, your mind has always been filled with caring for our lives. Lord, we come together today in one spirit, in the spirit of your love for us. We come together today to, uh, to just talk about and just uh, look at the care you've taken for our lives, that the things you've done to, to care for our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you are relentless in pursuing us and you're relentless in serving us with life, Father. Open our eyes so that we could see you with us and we could see the care you've taken to protect our lives, to uh, deliver our lives. Thank you, Father, that we can get a revelation that all the care we need is found in what you've done in Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Glory to God. Um, I'm going to kind of piggyback or pick up from where we, where I ended this 2022 talking about the, the way of Jesus. Right? I, the last message I think I preached in December was called The Way of Jesus. Um, and we, we, we really brought out some things there that I think are very important because I, I think as we've moved away, as the, church, as the years have gone by and we've kind of moved away from the early church and the, the doctrines and teaching of Jesus and the apostles, that I think a lot of people in the church don't even really know what it means to follow Jesus. They, they actually don't even really know what his way was. Right? We, we tend to look at the outward things and try and define that as the way. But the outward things are the fruit of the way of Jesus. And so we don't follow the outward things. What we follow is the faith that was in the Lord Jesus' heart. That's how you walk in the way of Jesus. You see what he believed, and now you start believing or allowing yourself to be persuaded of the same thing Jesus believed, and then you walk in his way. Then you follow in his footsteps. Right? And so in December... You can go back and look it up. It's called The Way of Jesus. In December, we, we looked at uh, the way of Jesus and, and how the way of Jesus um, causes us to have intimacy with the Father and the Father's indestructible life. And we looked at that the way of Jesus is the cross, that the way Jesus had intimacy with the Father and the Father's indestructible life was the cross. That's, I mean, the way of Jesus is the cross. The cross, this is shocking to modern-day Christianity because we've labeled the cross only as a device of punishment. And then we've wrongly defined the, the cross as the device of punishment that the Father used. Right? But the, the way of the cross, the cross is the pathway to the Father and His life. It's actually the pathway to experience or to be intimate with the power of the resurrection. I mean, Jesus wasn't raised from the dead except through the cross. And so the way He went to be intimate with the Father's life in His whole spirit, soul, and body was the way of the cross. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, We know the faith revealed at the cross is the pathway to the Father's life because Jesus was raised from the dead, free from sin, never to be able to die again. That's the evidence. There's a faith that was revealed at the cross. It's actually God ministering the faith to us, the cross, because through Him ministering the faith to us at the cross, we're going to find the same thing happened to us that happened in Jesus when He was raised from the dead, free from sin, never to be able to die again. And Paul would come and say to us that Jesus died unto sin once. For all time. And then that he was raised from the dead, never to die again. He's free from sin. Well, we're all like, hey, Jesus. But then right after that, he says, likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin and alive unto God. Never to be touched by sin and death again. Well, that faith is being revealed at the cross. That's the foundation from where all that happens. Right. You put off the life that you have from the world at the cross. And that's where the life of God picks you up. <laughs> right. And so we, we talked about the, the cross and the crosses. We, we for so often we think of the cross as the place Jesus went and died. And there is a death there. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But Jesus, Paul said Jesus died unto sin at the cross. Didn't say he died unto life. He died unto sin at the cross that he would be alive unto God. And so at the cross, Jesus put off corruption so he could put on incorruption. At the cross, Jesus was laying down the life that was corrupted by the world and the sin and death in the world so that he could be clothed in an incorruptible life, the incorruptible life of the Father. 
So the cross is where Jesus put off a mortal body so that he could be clothed in immortal flesh, immortality. And so Jesus laid down the life he could gain from the world. And the reason he laid down the life he could gain from the world is because he was intimate with the Father in the Father's life. That gave him strength. He saw the Father hath cared for me. The Father hath given me of himself his own life. And so he took no thought to care for his own life. He didn't look to the things in the world that the life in the world says you need to have life. He didn't look to those things and try to care for his own life through the things of the world. And because he took no thought to care for his own life, it resulted in him laying down the life he had from the world at the cross. It led him to the cross. If Jesus would have tried to preserve his own life or care for his own life, guess what? He wouldn't have ended up at the cross. Now, it's a magnificent thing. Can we all agree it's a magnificent thing for a human being not to try to care for their own life? That ain't a function of willpower, I promise you that. That ain't a function of writing something up on the wall and saying, thou shalt not care for your own life. It's a function of being persuaded that your life is already cared for. And because it's already cared for, you see no need to care for it yourself. And that's what Jesus saw. He was dead to the world and alive to God. And that led him to the cross where he put off sin and death. I love what Matthew said. We see what died at the cross in the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, we see Jesus still there. What do we not see there when Jesus was raised from the dead? Sin and death. And so what died at the cross? Sin and death died at the cross. That's what died. And so Jesus on the cross, he was putting off sin and death. He put off the body of death. He laid down the life that was corrupted by death. He laid down the life that was corrupted by the sin and death that's in the world so he could be picked up by the Father's life and so he could inherit the kingdom of God inside of human flesh. So that this perishable body he had, because the scripture says that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came in a mortal body. His, his father was from above, but his mother was earthy. And so he was born in a body that could die. And so at the cross, he put off the body that could die so that the father could come and clothe him in a body that could never die again. And that's why Jesus said, touch me, handle me. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. Right? Jesus talks about following me all throughout John's gospel. I encourage all of you. I mean, we've already laid some of this groundwork, but if you haven't done this yet, ask God, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? We should recognize something about human beings. We all have traditions in our lives that we love. You ever notice how hard it is to stop doing something that you've been doing? You feel upset. Even just like with my parents. You, my mom, man, the way my mom makes Thanksgiving and Christmas like a tradition. The gravy, the potatoes, the rice, the turkey, the stuffing, the dressing. It's all a certain way. And it was that way for my grandma. And it's like a tradition and we love it. And this isn't, please mom, don't take this the wrong way. I'm just going to say it and the Lord will have to, to trust you. Even, even from my, you'll just have to trust the Lord. Even from my grandma to my mom, the tradition changed a little bit. And when it changed a little bit, there was part of me that was like, oh, I don't know, I didn't like it, right? But my mom was nearly identical to my grandma. Well, my parents, man, they're, they're getting a little bit older, and it's harder for them to have everybody at the house. My mom, can't, my mom got the cancer diagnosis. She's going through all the treatment. She can't make this dinner for everybody. And so God bless my sisters and everybody that can cook. I can't cook. My wife. And so we all come together to try to do it, and we try to do it like her. Guess what? It ain't like her. We try, but it ain't the same. And I feel it when it's not the same. And it's because traditions have a hold in us. We like them. Why do you think we even start to have them? Let's have a tradition. Even Becky and I. Becky's Italian. Like, she's second generation off the boat. Her grandma came over on the boat in Ellis Island. I mean, she speaks broken English. She calls me Mr. Henry. And you know, there's nobody at the boat to meet me when I get off of there. She told me. 
so they have deep Italian roots. Well, man, this past Christmas, Becky found some spumoni, real spumoni. And she ordered a bunch of tubs of this spumoni. And we were like, we're going to have a tradition. Well, we're going to have spumoni every Christmas. But you see what our hearts are saying? That this is a good thing, and now we're going to establish it all time. And that means if we don't have it now, that's going to be a big problem. So human beings, we gravitate towards tradition. And whether we, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. But we ought to understand that about ourselves. That there's times where we ought to examine ourselves with the Lord to see if we be in the faith or not. And so 2,000 years have gone by from the teachings of Jesus when he said, follow me, and the apostolic teachings unwrapping what Jesus taught. And I think after these 2,000 years, our ideas about what it means to follow Jesus have been structured by our traditions and not by the Lord himself. And we've lost sight of even what it means to follow Jesus. Right? And so John's gospel goes all into following Jesus. And Jesus saying, follow me. I mean, he goes into all this language about, I'm going somewhere, I'm going to be with the Father, and you can't come with me right now, but I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you can follow after. And in the context of Jesus saying that, where he said he was going was the cross. He's talking about the cross. He says, I'm going to go to the cross so I can go to be with the Father. You can't follow me right now, but I'm going to go to be with the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then you'll be able to follow me later. And so when Jesus is talking about following him, he's talking about going to the cross. He's talking about us being able to look at him and him going to the cross and us seeing that the way unto intimacy with the Father and the way unto intimacy with the Father's life is the cross. So that after he goes to the cross, the spirit that led him to the cross can be poured out and dwell in us and bring us to the same cross. That just as he uh, transcended the life in this world, he could ascend to the right hand of God. We could find ourselves experiencing life with him there now. I'm with the Lord there now. I'm with him where he's at. My life is hid in him. It's not hid in this world. And do you know how that happened? I followed him to the cross. And so when you talk about following Jesus, this is it. It's following him to the cross, period. There's no other thing. And any other thing is a distraction. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. And the voice of a stranger they will not hear. Right? All that language talking about following and leading. He says, follow me. But Jesus didn't just go to the cross of his own volition. He was led up there by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, drawing us to the Father. And the way the Holy Spirit is drawing us to the Father, it's through the cross. But we spend all our days trying to avoid the cross. We spend all our days trying to perfect the life we have from the world. But the cross is the place where you lay down the life that you have from the world that you might begin to experience the life of the Father. You can't experience the life of the Father unless you stop calling the world your Father. You can't have two fathers, Jesus would come and say. You'll either love the one and hate the other, or you'll hate the one and love the other. And so the father knows the only way they can experience me in what I've done, what I'm doing, what I will do to father my life in them is if I can first bring them to the place where they lay down the life they have from the world. That's the hardest thing for us. Because we're confused. We, 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 we can, it's like Jesus said, you know, Jesus sweat blood. Because his mortal body didn't want to die. His mortal body saw the cross and said, this is where we're going to die. Jesus said the flesh is weak, but the spirit indeed is willing. And so the spirit was bringing Jesus to the cross, not so that he could lose life or eternal life, but so that he could gain eternal life, so that he could put off sin and death, so that he could shed the life that had been corrupted by sin and death. It's in that place that you start experiencing the fullness of God in this earth. But we're trying to manage it all, right? It's like the Seinfelds, where Jerry and Elaine are friends, but they dated. And they saw that if they dated again, then maybe they wouldn't be friends anymore. And so they started talking about, how can we have this and that? We want this and we want that. We struggle to lay down the life in the world because we want this and that. We think the things that our lives need to be cared for are contained in the things of the world. And so we hold on so tight 
we grip it. And the Holy Spirit is bringing us to the place where we lay that down. Not because he tells us to lay it down. He brings something forth in us that causes us to lay it down. Where there's no other thing that we will do other than lay it down. It's in that place you start experiencing the life of the power, the, the power of the resurrection. And that's what Paul was talking about when, when he said he prayed. That he might know Jesus and the power of his resurrection being made conformable to the death Jesus died on the cross. What he's saying there is that I laid down the life I had from the world. That I could be intimate with the power of the resurrection. Paul says that over and over again. I was crucified with Christ. I'm a living sacrifice. All those things he's talking about is laying down the life that's in the world. Putting off the life that's in the world. The spirit is in the earth to bring something about in you where you give up the ghost. You lay down the life you have in the world. And he's not doing it to punish you. He's doing it because the thing that torments you is the life you have from the world. And if you could just shed that life, you would find yourself blossoming like the most glorious flower that could never be burnt up by the sun. But we get scared because we think our life is hidden, the things in the world. And so we hold on, we hold on, we hold on. We think we got to care for our life. We think we got to care for our life. We think we got to care for our life. And the Holy Spirit's all the time trying to persuade us, God has cared for your life. God has cared for your life. God has cared for your life. And then all of a sudden, one day, you're no longer taking thought of how you can care for your own life. You're no longer taking thought of what your life needs to be cared for because your mind is filled with the care God has given you. And you see that the care he's given your life is perfect. There's no more room for you needing to be cared for after what the Lord did to care for you. And you're just in need of a revelation that he hath cared, he is caring, he shall care. That's what you need. John 21, verse 18 and 19. Verily, verily, I love the verily, verily. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Every time I see the verily, verily, it reminds me of like a nursery rhyme. <laughs> it's a row your boat song. Where mer ver yeah, merrily, 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 life is. <laughs> oh, man. You, you see what will happen, man? When you, when, you, when you find that you've laid down the life that's in the world, you really start enjoying yourself. It's the only actual way to be yourself. Because the world has tried to come and create you in its image. And the way it creates you in its image is it comes and gives you a life. It's life. And that's how it tries to make you conform. It wants you to live as if you're in the house of the world, as if the world is your father, as if your provision for life is in the world. Well, then you start caring about a whole lot of things. You might find some things about yourself that you think are objectionable. And since I derive life from the world, I better fix those things that are objectionable. a cursed life john 28 or 21 verse 18 verily verily i say unto thee this is jesus talking when you were young you girded yourself and walked whither you wanted to but when you shall be old you shall stretch forth your hand and another shall gird you and carry thee carry you whither you wouldest not that's a weird saying isn't it I mean, on one hand, you could think, oh, he's just talking about it as, as you get older, maybe, right? Like, my parents did so much for me, and they still do so much for me emotionally, but some physical things I do for them now. That's how I got this big scar on my face, because I was there trying to trim their palm trees. And like a genius, not, I took that big saw on a pole with the string that you pull to cut off the palm tree. The saw part, which is that big, got stuck in the branch. I let go of the pole with, and grabbed the string with both hands. And then I pulled that thing. You know where it fell? Right there in my face. Boom. But Jesus isn't just, Jesus isn't talking about, listen to what he says right after that, verse 19. It says, this spake he. Jesus said that signifying by what death he should glorify God. So he's talking about the cross there. And the death he would die at the cross. Now, he's talking to Peter when he says this. 
right? And probably the other disciples are around, I'm sure, right? Because Peter's like the guy that doesn't think about what he says before he says it. He just puts himself out there. Some people are more guarded with what they say because they don't want to be seen to be a fool. Peter's just like out there with it, right? So the other disciples are like, just let Peter say it and we'll just glean from his foolishness. <laughs> That's kind of like me, right? Should you glean anything from me? It's on account of all the foolishness I had with the Lord. <laughs> so he's talking to Peter. The other disciples are probably listening. This spake he signifying what death he should die on the cross to glorify God. And it says, and when Jesus had spoken this, he said unto him, follow me. So he's, he's talking about the death of the cross. He's going to die. And then he comes and tells Peter, follow me. Follow him where? To the cross. That's what he's talking about. Now, that's a strange kind of a thing for us, because how are we going to follow Jesus to the cross? I mean, does that mean we need to physically find a tree and then go and, and get nailed to the cross? You know, there's a lot of strange uh, sections of Christianity where you have people that do that. Because they think that's how, you're, that's how you get close to the Lord. They think that's how you have fellowship with the Son, and that, that's how you'll have fellowship with the Father. Right? So what does Jesus mean when he says, follow me? Is, is Jesus telling us we need to be nailed to a cross? I mean, is that what he's talking about? How can we follow Jesus to the cross? I, I mean, we read through these verses and we just gloss over this stuff and we never think about these things because we're just trying to read our word, right? Because all we know is we're supposed to read the word. That's what we know. Forget about actually stopping and contemplating these things. It's like a dance with the Lord. You're not supposed to read it like a novel. You're supposed to read it and be caught up with a conversation with God. Be caught up in a dance, a waltz, right? And so what, how can we follow Jesus to the cross? The Holy Spirit wants you to ask that. How can I follow him to the cross? I'm glad you asked. Because going to the cross, yeah, Jesus physically went to the cross. There was a physical cross. Jesus physically took the wages of our sin, which is death, into his body. Peter says Jesus was put to death in the flesh. So Jesus was physically crucified. But it wasn't just a physical thing that was going down there, right? Going to the cross isn't only about being nailed to a physical cross. It's also about laying down the life you have from the world. And in fact, you could say Jesus experienced the cross in his heart his whole life up until the point where he physically laid it down on that tree. And so going to the cross, it's about laying down the life you have from the world. That's what it's about. That's the cross for us. When we think of how we're going to follow Jesus to the cross, we ought not think of how we're going to be nailed to a physical tree. We ought to think about we're going to lay down the life we have from the world also. And that's not like some like wagging of the finger, you better do it. It's the Father trying to work His life in us, right? It's the Father trying to show us the care He's taken for our life so we can experience Him caring for us. The Lord cares for you. If somebody cares for you, don't you want to experience it? I mean, all of us would agree, the Lord cares for me. But if all of us were honest, we'd all say, sometimes I don't feel cared for. Well, where's the disconnect? And why is it there? Right? I promise you the reason the disconnect is there is because we haven't laid down the life we have from the world. Because it's only the life that we have from the world that could ever tell, tell us we aren't cared for. And so it's like we call the world father and we see what the world is doing to us and then we ask God why he's not caring for us. <laughs> right? It's like I, I keep going to the world's house for dinner and every time I eat there I get food poisoning. And it makes me sick, right? And then I'm asking God, how come he's not taking care of me? <laughs> Why do you keep feeding me this stuff, man? <laughs> Isn't your seafood supposed to be good? <laughs> I thought you said we can eat all. He's cleansed everything. I thought you said rise up and eat. <laughs> uh, so the cross for us. Says Jesus said, follow me to the cross. The cross is the pathway of life. It's the pathway where you will find yourself animated with the life of God. So the cross for us 
is about giving up the ghost, which means to lay down the life that we have from the world. No, you're all good. God bless you. The cross for us is about the life we have from the world being put off of us. I know we say lay down the life we have from the world. Really what it is is that God come and dwell in you and put it off. <laughs> he puts it off of you, right? He strengthens you. He graces you to the degree that you spit it out gladly, right? Just like the, the scripture says, the Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack. He maketh me to lie down in the tender green grass. Doesn't say he told me to lie down. Didn't doesn't say he told me I should lie down. It says he's done something that caused me to lie down. And so the cross for us is a place where, man, we put off the life that we have from the world so that we can be picked up by the life of God just as Jesus was. That's what the cross is about for us. Romans, and I quoted this already, but we'll just read it closer and look at a couple of these things. Romans chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. For in that Jesus died, he died. Notice what it says he died unto. For in that he died, he died unto life. Death. So what is it that Jesus died to on the cross? Did he die unto life? He died unto the life that was born from the world. He died unto that life. But that life ain't real life. That life ain't everlasting life. That life ain't an incorruptible life. That life is a life that's been corrupted by sin. So it says, in that he died, he died unto sin. So now it's coming and telling us something about the death Jesus died on the cross, and it's saying he died unto sin. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now listen, I've said this a bunch of times, but it bears repeating because we've been programmed to think a certain way about sin. So when it says, for in that he died, he died unto sin. How many of us think that word sin there is a verb? Like an action. Because the way I was taught, I would have read it that that sin there is talking about bad behavior. In that he died, he died unto bad behavior. Did Jesus need to die unto bad behavior? No. So how could that be what it's talking about? It can't be. You see, again, how our traditions come in and shape a word, and then we live our lives by these traditions, never knowing that ain't what it's talking about? The word sin there is, isn't talking about bad behavior. I say this a lot, but I'll keep saying it. The word sin in that verse is a noun. It's a person, place, or thing. It's not a verb. It's not a verb. And so when Paul says, consider yourself dead to sin, the sin that he's talking about there is the corruptible life that Adam founded in the earth when he brought death into the earth. That's the sin he's talking about. He's continuing to build. And if you're like, well, where do you get that from, Greg? Well, you have to like open up your sight. It's almost like you got to get up in a plane so you can see the beginning from the end, right, all at once. He's building on what he said back in Romans 5 where he said, by one man, Adam, by the sin of one man, Adam, death entered the earth and death reigned over all. So Adam subjected the earth to death, to weakness, to vanity, the scripture says. And so Adam subjected all of creation to death. And so Paul is building on that. He's building on the world Adam founded. Adam founded a world built on the shoulders of a corruptible life. He founded a world that was built on the shoulders of sin and death. He founded a world that that world was built on the foundation of sin and death. It wasn't built on the shoulders of an incorruptible life, which is why when it talks about Jesus coming and the government shall be on his shoulders and upon his sho the shoulders of his indestructible life. And so Jesus is coming to build the earth that's built upon the shoulders of an indestructible life. Well, when Adam brought death into the earth, he built a world, he built a life on the shoulders of sin and death. He founded a life that was corrupted with sin and death. It was perishable. It could be decayed. It could rot away. Now, if you have a life that can rot away, that'll stress you out, won't it? That will fill your mind with a whole lot of worrying and cares, won't it? A whole lot of anxieties. 
every time something happens to you in this world, every time someone says something to you in this world, you'll be busy thinking that your life is being destroyed. And you'll feel a hurt and a sting in your heart as if your life is being taken. And then that sting won't go away. That sting will stay with you all the days of your life. That's the kind of life Adam built, right? So when Paul says, consider yourself dead to sin, he's talking about the life that Adam built that's corruptible. He's talking about the life that has been corrupted by sin and death already. That's what he's talking about. And so the cross is the place, just like it says Jesus died unto sin, the cross is the place where we die unto sin. It's not talking about bad behavior. The cross is the place where we die unto the kind of life that's been corrupted by sin and death already. We die into the kind of life that's at the mercy of the trauma in the world. We die to the kind of life that's at the mercy of what people say and do to us. We die to that kind of a life. We die to the kind of life that can be taken from should someone abuse us. We're dead to that kind of a life. We're not victims anymore because the life of God can't be abused. You can abuse it all you like, but it can't be taken from. See, most people with PTSD, do you know why they have PTSD? Do you know why we suffer trigger points? Do you know why we suffer trauma? Because we're busy with the life that's in the world. And the life we had from the world has been harmed by things that's happened in the world. And now the harm that's happened to this life that's built upon a corruption, upon sin and death, listen, man, that hurts us. Will God come to bring something about in us where we lay down the life that's able to be harmed and he picks us up with the life that can't be harmed anymore? And in that moment, when we're busy with the life that can no longer be harmed, guess what's sent away from us? All the trauma, all the anxiety, all the pain, all the hurt, all the abuse we've suffered in this world, it goes away because we see we have a life that can't be overcome by those things. We have a life that isn't built upon corruption. <sighs> what can they do to me? Do you think Jesus is up at the right hand of God with PTSD, waking up at night with nightmares because of what they did to him? Why not? It's not because he's better than you. It's because he believes something. And so these are the questions you want to ask yourself if there's trauma in your life, if there's hurt in your life, if there's things you find tormenting you that you can't shake. Because I promise you, he ever liveth to produce in you the same thing that's in him, where he's seated at the right hand of God. He's not busy thinking about, well, look how they flogged me. I'm kind of scared to go back, Father, because last time I was there, they flogged me. Last time I was there, they nailed me to a cross. He ain't thinking that. Why? Why? Just ask God that. Why, Lord? This dude, this dude suffered the abuse and trauma. We've all suffered abuse and trauma. This dude also suffered abuse and trauma, and somehow he's free from it. Why, Lord? How, Lord? I know that if you've come, you've come to produce something in me where I can be free also. And just ask him. He will minister to you. The Holy Spirit is here to minister that to you. The cross, bringing us to the cross. It's not the place where you suffer pain. The cross is the place where all our traumas and all our fears and all our anxieties are put off of us. The cross is the place where all our hurts and all our torments are put off of us because it's at the cross that we lay down the life we have from the world. And listen, man, I don't know if you realize it. It's the life the world fathered that's able to be victimized. It's the life the world father that's able to be traumatized. It's the life the world father that can be corrupted by sin and death. Do you know why you feel hurt? Because you think your life has somehow been corrupted by what's happened to you. But the life of God can't be corrupted by sin and death. In the moment you lay down the life from the world, that's the life that can be corrupted by sin and death. That's the life that has PTSD. In the moment you put off that life, the moment God put that life off of you, what will happen is, is you'll be delivered from the hurt and the trauma because now you'll be picked up by an incorruptible life. And you won't see that your life can be hurt by what's happened to you. You won't see that your life can be hurt by what people have said and done to you. And you'll be free from the trauma, free from the PTSD, free from the anxiety. And you'll be like, what? I'm a living testimony of that. I'm up here talking in front of people, acting a fool. Do you see how intense I am? 
This is the very thing the world told me was corrupted. It's the very thing the world told me was the evidence that my life was corrupted. And I promise you, when I first got up in front of everybody, I felt it. I'm hiding. And I felt great pain. You see, but I was still busy with the life I had from the world. And I was still busy trying to care for a life that could be corrupted. And so I thought, well, no, if people say I'm too intense, if people don't like me, my life can be corrupted. And so I was still trying to keep myself from being too intense, still trying to keep myself from all these things, still taking thought, how can I care for my life so it can flourish? And then God brought me to the cross. He brought me to the place where I laid down the life that I had from the world, and no longer I cared. Even should everybody leave, my life can't be corrupted. Even should nobody like what I say, my life can't be corrupted. Even should the door close and nobody give, my life can't be corrupted. You know why? Because the Father has cared for my life. And the way he's cared for my life is by giving of himself his incorruptible life. And so the life of the Father is not at the mercy of people coming here. The life of the Father is not at the mercy of people liking what he says. The life of the Father is not at the mercy of people thinking that he acts the right way. The life of the Father is so much that it manifests. That's what's in you. That's what he poured out on all flesh. And he's trying to minister that life to you. He's trying to raise you up into that life just like a parent or a father would raise their child up into their life. The way he raises you up under that life is he brings you to the cross. Because that's where you lay down the life that has all the torment. That's where he's caring for you. He cares for you by getting you to put down or put off the life that's filled with the torment. And we hold on so tight to it. We hold on so tight to the life we have from the world. We're so convinced the things we need to care for our life are the things of the world. But that's the life that torments us. It's not a punishment for bad behavior that he brings us to the cross. He's bringing us to the cross to nurture us unto his life. He's bringing us to the cross so we can be free from what hurts us. Oh, hallelujah. I remember when I was running. I ran in the Junior Olympics and international races. In the second to last race that I really ran, I got injured real bad. And the injury was so bad and painful to me, not just physically, but emotionally. Physically, not just physically, but emotionally. And so that was the, like the, the national meet. I still finished second, even though I was hurt. So I qualified for the international meet. Well, the international meet started coming. And I didn't want to run. I was so scared to run. Like, I remember we were lining up on the track and my dad was there with me. I was so scared to run. Like, I was just petrified. What if this happens again? God's not with me anymore. The, the hurt that I felt meant God wasn't there. And he looked at me and he said, Greg, he said, I don't care if you run or not. I love you all the same, whether you run or you don't run. You know what he said to me, though? He said, I don't think you'll be happy with it if you I think you'll look back and wish that you had, right? And in that moment, it was painful. I thought it was painful to run the race. But the point is, is that he saw it would actually help me to run the race. And so he brought me through to where I could run the race. God sees that about the cross. He, we can look at the cross and think it's painful to lay down the life we have from the world. We can think if we're no longer taking thought to care for our own lives, who's going to care for it? Because we've all felt hurt in this world. And we've all felt like, if, what's the saying? If you want something done, right? you got to do it yourself. And so we grew up as little children, innocently trusting people to care for our lives. We did. We all grew up, none of us taking thought about how we're going to care for our own life. And then we trusted the people around us to care for our life. Well, one by one, over and over, they failed us. And so we began thinking, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. We built up walls. We didn't like being hurt. We didn't like being traumatized. We didn't like being abused. And so one by one, we started taking thought to care for our own life so that we could be saved from the trauma and the abuse. And really what we were doing, we were building walls around our torment. We were locking our torment inside. God sees that. So we can feel anxious when the walls start coming down. We can start, wait, 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 wait. That's like that last remnant of PTSD. 
that we're busy with, with the life that we have from the world. Where we're like, no, 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 our life has suffered harm. If we don't take care of our, no one will. And God's like, I know, I know. I don't expect you to do it on your own. I'm going to keep showing you how I cared for your life. And your mind will be washed clean from caring for your own life. And then you'll lay down the life that you have from the world and you'll be delivered. Right? Does that make any sense? The reason why the life that's been fathered by the world is full of traumas and anxieties and cares and worries, the reason why it's filled with all those things is because it's fragile. It's fragile. And so if you're busy with the fragile life, if you're busy with the life that can be harmed, it's going to produce care and worry and anxiety and trauma and PTSD and hurt and offense and all sorts of things. It will. Mm -mm. we've all heard it said take your sin to the cross most of us who've been in the church world take your sin to the cross and what we used to do is we would have the cross and we would have all the bad things we did and we would have little signs and we'd bring it up there and stick it on the cross i mean we were babies we don't need to be ashamed of that but we didn't really understand what the cross was about and so we were connecting with god the best we knew how but god's busy working maturity in us and so when we talk about taking your sin to the cross, it's not, it's, it's not only in turn, it's not about bad behavior. That's not what it's talking about. It's not take your bad behavior to the cross. Bad behavior is just the fruit of a corruptible life. So if you're busy with the life that's able to be corrupted and you're taking thought to care for your own life, the result of that is going to be bad behavior. Because when you try to give your own life the care it needs, guess what's going to come out? Selfishness. I mean, if you got to care for your own life, you ain't thinking about nobody else's life, are you? It ain't because you're a bad person. You're just so consumed with your own life. You're not even free to see anybody else's life. And so take your sin to the cross in the context of what we just said about sin is the life Adam built on the shoulders of death. The life Adam built on the shoulders of sin and death. Take your sin to the cross is take your sin to the cross. It means take your life or take the life that's been corrupted by the world. Take the life that's been traumatized by the world. Take the life that's been victimized, that's been hurt by the world to the cross so it can be put off of you. <laughs> you behold the life that is able to be traumatized dying. And then you behold a life raised up that can't be traumatized. Jesus said, which of you suppose that by taking thought of your life can add one cubit of stature? I mean, we don't think about what he means. We, I mean, we spend so much of our time taking thought of our life. And the only reason why we do is because we think we can add. And we also think if we don't, it can be taken away. But that just demonstrates that there's part of our heart still identifying with the life that the world has fathered. Because the life that the world fathered can be added to and taken from. Take the life that can be added to and taken from. Take it to the cross so you can watch it die. And you can be picked up by the life that so much it can't be added to or taken from. You think I'm too intense? Glory to God. That doesn't hurt me anymore. But I promise you, there was a day when it did. You don't like me? Well, glory to God, God likes me. I don't need you to like me for me to have peace. Because the life of God doesn't need people to like him to have peace. Well, I mean, you want people to like you because it's nice to have friends. But I don't need your friendship for me to have life. <laughs> And then you start living freely and you'll find yourself being more friendly. You're actually more friendly when you're no longer consumed with the care of your own life. You guys make, this is making any sense? So Jesus says, follow me to the cross. Follow me to the cross. You see this life that I have, this body I have that's able to be corrupted by sin and death. I'm about to take it to the cross. So it can die. All the flogging they did to him, all the abusing they did to him, all the trauma they put the life he had from the world through, he took it to the cross. 
and he put it off. He laid it down. <laughs> Follow me to the cross. Jesus says, I'm going to, the, to lay my life down at the cross so I can go to the Father and prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be with me. And Jesus died unto sin at the cross. He put off the life he had from the world at the cross. And through that, he was able to ascend to the right hand of the Father, overcoming the sin and death in the world and all the trauma and abuse he experienced at the hands of the world. And Jesus says, follow me there. Follow me to the cross so you can partake with me in a life that overcomes the world in sin and death. Does everybody agree he's overcome the world? Does everybody agree he's overcome sin and death? Does everybody agree that his life can't be corrupted? That he has a life that can't be taken from or added to? Well, the reason he got that is because he laid down the life he had from the world. And he's leading us there so we can do the same thing. Now, here's the million-dollar question, and I like to add all this in. Because God does not tell us, do that. So I ain't telling you what you need to do. I'm telling you what God do in you. There's a reason why he poured out the Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave you to perform this on your own. In, in fact, just like Jesus said, and I already said, the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. Your flesh cannot lay down the life it has from the world. And it's actually fighting to keep it because it thinks life is found there. It thinks care is found there. But the spirit in you knows, Right? So here's the million-dollar question. How did Jesus get to the cross? Was it a function of his willpower? I mean, what brought Jesus there? What is it that caused Jesus to lay down the life he had from the world? And I don't just mean Jesus as Messiah or God who came to save us. I mean Jesus, the Son of Man, like you and me, right, who himself needed salvation from the world. What led him to the cross? Because, if listen, if you want to follow somebody, you've got to know how they got there. Don't you? I mean, even saying, follow me, it carries with it the implication of, ask me how I got here. Or consider, how did I get here? You know, like directions. How are we going to get there? So listen, Jesus, he was graced. He was strengthened to go to the cross. And he was strengthened to go to the cross by a very simple thing. It's actually very simple. And it gets so complicated in our experiencing day to day because we're still identifying with the life in the world. But Jesus was strengthened to go to the cross simply by the revelation of the Father's love. That's it. Now, when we say the Father's love, it be, it's become like a Christian cliche. God loves you. God loves me. I know he loves us. And we never stop and think, what does it mean that he loves me? Because those aren't just hollow words. It's not just a saying. It's not just something we know is true, and so we're going to say it. It means something. And so when, 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 it's, when, when it, it says Jesus was persuaded of the Father's love, and that's what strengthened him to go to the cross, the reason he was persuaded the Father loved him was because he saw the Father gave his life the care that it needed to be protected from the trauma and abuse in the world. I don't need to... I don't need to protect myself from trauma and abuse. God has done something to care for my life that will protect me. And in the protection that he saw the Father gave him, he was persuaded the Father loves me. I mean, when is it that we believe someone loves us? When we, they care about us, when they care for our lives. When we see that they think our lives are precious. When we see that they've taken thought to give us the protection we need. That's when we become persuaded. They loved me. They really loved me. And so Jesus didn't take thought to care for his own life through the things of the world because he saw the Father loves him and the Father gave his life the care he needs. That's resulted in him laying down the life he had from the world. The way you're going to find yourself laying down the life you have from the world putting off the life you have from the world, the life that is what's tormenting you, is by you having your eyes fixed on the care God has given your life and being persuaded that that care is complete. It is full. It's not lacking. It actually has protected you. It's actually the only thing that could protect you that this dude did. We all the time think we need all these different things to protect us. When I was busy preaching, thinking I was free, and people were like, chill out. You move too much. You move your hands around so much it puts me to sleep. I don't understand anything you're saying. 
I thought I needed people not to say that for me to be protected. I thought my heart needed to believe that I was a good preacher to be protected. I was not knowing the care God had taken for my life when I said that. You know what God said to me? I didn't understand exactly what he was saying to me then, but he was showing me the care in that moment. He said, Greg, do you think I need people to like how you preach to take care of you? Clearly, I did think so, but I was wrong. And so I was busy looking for care in something that couldn't give me the care that I needed. And that's what most of us do. And that's what caused most of us problems in our lives. Traumas, PTSD. We're looking to some situation thinking if it would have gone differently, then we could have been cared for. No, that's a lie. And it's meant to get you fixated on the trauma and the abuse. It's meant to create, woe is me, nobody knows. The trouble I see. So what is it that caused Jesus to know the Father loved him? What is it? In Matthew 4, you remember when Jesus was tempted? He says he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, no food and water. You're starving to death after 40. I don't know if you know the science. You're starving to death. You are. You're starving to death. And while he was starving to death, that's an opportune time to tempt him to care for his own life. How many of you know when you're starving to death and you see some food or the possibility to have food, there ain't a lot you ain't going to do to get it. And so in that moment, the devil comes and tempts Jesus to take thought to care for his own life. He comes to Jesus. Turn those stones into bread. Feed yourself. Care for your own life. You guys remember in Matthew 6 where Jesus says, take no thought to care for your own life? He says, for the Father cares for you. He goes on to say, set your eyes on God's righteousness. Seek ye, we know it as seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The righteousness he's talking about there is this guy's work to care for your life. Take no thought to care for your own life, but rather set your eyes on the work that God has done to care for your life. And so the serp, Jesus needed his life to be cared for. He's starving to death. And the serpent comes to him and says, turn those stones into bread. Care for your life. You're dying. And what does Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. We could translate that into our own lives. We, the bread could easily be, we could have had life if we could have been saved from the trauma. We could have had life if we could have been saved from the abuse. We could have had life if people would have been the way they should have been with us. If people would have said and done the things they were supposed to say. Then we could have had life. You don't find life by the things people say to do to you or the things they don't say and do to you. You find life by every word of God. It's an interesting thing when Jesus says bye-bye every word of God. He's not just talking about flip through the scriptures and read some verses. Hey, no one flips through the scriptures and reads the verses more than me. I'm speaking as a fool now. So it's nothing wrong with reading the verses. But Jesus is talking about a very specific word. When he says man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. He had just come up out of the Jordan River, and the, Holy, the clouds had parted, and the Holy Spirit had descended upon him like a dove, and the voice of the Father from heaven just said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. That's the word that Jesus is saying that he's going to find life by. Now, listen, I'm just going to keep unpacking this. He's not just talking about the voice from heaven that he heard the Father say, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Because we all know actions speak louder than words. All of us say it. We say it to each other. We say it to the things that have happened. Well, we know actions speak louder than words. And look what you've done. So it isn't just that the Father said that. That's the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And so Jesus didn't just hear the Father say that. He saw the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And when he saw the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, do you know what he saw? He saw the Father sealing his life with the incorruptible life the Father has in himself. And he saw that this is the sign that the Father hath cared for me. This is the sign that the Father is with me, sealing me in his incorruptible life so that the sin and death in this world cannot overcome me. That's the only care that I need. And so Jesus was persuaded of the Father's love because he saw the Father did the one thing that could actually protect him from the death that was in the world, which was pour out of himself his incorruptible life into Jesus and seal him with it. He knew he was safe. 
Even I could turn these stones into bread. That can't save me from the death in this world. The Father hath cared for me. I mean, Jesus manifested Matthew 6 right there in the midst. He didn't take thought to care for his own life. Why? Because he saw the Father had just given his life the care it needed. Even should I die from starvation, the Father's life will pick me back up. The Father hath cared for me. Does that make sense? You guys, I think it's Terminator 3. Have you guys seen Terminator 3? The progression of the robots? Well, go pull up Terminator 3. There's a clip. Well, anyway, Terminator is about a robot that comes from the future and wreaks havoc. Well, as the Terminators go on, the robots progress and become more strong. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger was the first robot. And you could whack that and it would die. Well, Terminator 3, the guy comes. And when they shoot this dude with like a big shotgun, he liquefies. He absorbs the bullet and then he fills it back in and it's as if nothing happened. There's one scene where he gets almost sliced in half to where his body is ring like that and it liquefies and it comes back into one and he's strengthened, attacking again. So you couldn't hurt this robot. You couldn't corrupt him. It didn't matter what kind of a blow you struck against him. He had something in him that even should the greatest blow be struck against it, it would swallow that blow and he would still be whole. And he just kept coming. He ever liveth. He ever liveth. Now imagine if you had a life like that. Imagine if you had a life that no matter what kind of blow was struck against your life, that it would swallow that blow and it would be whole still. Imagine you had a life that could quench every fiery dart that came against it, that even should a fiery dart come and make a direct hit. Bullseye, you sank my battleship. Even should a direct blow be struck against it, you have a life that swallowed up the blow and you're still whole standing there. Imagine that's the kind of life you have, because it is. Now imagine what you might think about the person that gave you that life and didn't ask you of anything to give it to you. You might think, they love me. They really love me. That's the kind of life we need, guys. That's the only thing that can actually protect our life. That's the only thing that can actually make us safe. That if we had a life that even when it took a blow, it would swallow up the blow and still be whole. And the thing that protects our heart is when we become persuaded that that's the life we have. That's when the trauma is sent away. That's when the abuse is sent away. That's when the PTSD is sent away. That's what Jesus saw with the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. The Father hath given me a life that can quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. Isn't that a verse? I mean, we read it and we say it, hallelujah. And then the second a dart comes, we're like, oh, where's God? I'm just being honest, man. It's because we're still busy with the life that's been built on sin and death, on the shoulders of sin and death. That's why we are, where's God? Instead of realizing the life we have, God has given us that kind of a life. Jesus prays in John 17. I'm going to finish with this. Thank you guys so much. Jesus prays in John 17 that we might know that the Father loves us as the Father loved him. Now, don't just gloss over that. Jesus knew he was loved because he saw the Father cared for him. And so Jesus was praying, Father, I pray that they might know that you have given their lives the same care you gave my life. Because that will bring them to the cross. They'll follow me. They'll hear the voice of the shepherd. What does it mean when you hear the voice of a shepherd? What does a shepherd do? It hedges its sheep about so that no harm can come to it. And so when you hear the voice of the shepherd, what do you hear? You hear the shepherd telling you what he's done to give your life the care it needs. And then you follow Jesus to the cross. Glorify me, Father that it might glorify you in their eyes. Glorify me that they might see you have given them the same care you gave me, that they might know their life is safe and secure, that they might know they've been cared for, that they might no longer take thought to care for their own lives, that they can be set free from the trauma and the hurt that comes from a perishable life. Glorify me. Do you know what it means to be glorified? You know when Jesus was glorified? When he sat down at the right hand of the Father, far above every principality and power. Do you know what happened when Jesus was glorified? 
You know what happens when he sat down at the right hand of the Father? The clouds opened and a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh and descended like a dove on all of us, just like it did with Jesus. That is the Father giving our lives the care that it needs. He sealed us with an incorruptible life. He's given us a life that when it takes a blow, it swallows it and it stands up whole. That's the only thing that can actually care for your life. A life that can't be harmed is the only thing that can care for your heart. The human heart was made for a life that can't be harmed. That's one of the reasons why the devil can launch such an assault against us. Because we dwell in a world that has a life that can easily be harmed. And then the world tries to raise us up in its way. The world tries to raise us up in the word of a corruptible life. And all of the cares and worries that come from trying to take care of a corruptible life. And then God poured out the Holy Spirit. It descended like a dove. And the voice of the Father, you are my beloved children in whom I'm well pleased. He is caring for us. Your life has been cared for. If you thought it wasn't, that's the world talking to you. It's not even you. That thought didn't come from you. That thought came when you suffered hurt, and the devil's right there telling you. Your life has been cared for. Your life is safe. That's the quandary of the gospel for the carnal mind, because that makes no sense to the carnal mind. The carnal mind cannot comprehend that. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to comprehend that our lives are cared for. But most of us don't even know what the Holy Spirit is or what it means that we even have it. The best we get is, well, we can pray in tongues now and we can perform miracles. But man, the power of the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. It comes and it comforts you by showing you what the Father's done to pamper you with his life, to protect your life from whatever can happen in the world. And now you're free from fear. Oh, glory to God. John 16 Jesus says when the Holy Spirit has come, he's come to convince you of righteousness. He says of righteousness because I go to the right hand of the Father. So the righteousness the Holy Spirit was poured out to convince you of is God's righteousness to care for your life. His righteousness towards you to protect your life, to care for it. How does the Holy Spirit convince you of that? Because it shows you the care that God gave Jesus' life, seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit starts telling you that that's your life the Father has cared for and hid inside of himself through Jesus. And then you start living knowing your life's cared for. That's, that's how the saying can be fulfilled in a person. Should they smack you on one side of the cheek, turn and give them the other one. You can't do that if you don't already believe your life has been cared for perfectly. You're busy, like, trying to get away so you don't suffer another blow. How did Jesus stand there and not open his mouth when they accused him? How did he stand there and not try to defend himself? Because he saw the Father hath cared for my life perfectly. It's like, it's like the parable of the Good Samaritan. The life we have from the world has been beaten and bloodied and left for dead on the side of the road. You notice how it says the thief did that? You know who's called the thief? Satan. You know what else Satan is called? The prince of this world. And so the life that Adam brought into this world, that this world has been founded on, it's been beaten and bloodied and left for dead. It has. But God's the good Samaritan. He poured out the Holy Spirit when we were beaten and bloodied and left for dead on the side of the road because we were partakers of a corruptible life. God, it says that the Good Samaritan comes and fills him with wine and then makes a place for him to dwell. Well, God come and fill us with the wine of his life, the Holy Spirit, making a place for us to dwell with him for all eternity that where he is, we might be there with him also. Follow me. Uh, the Holy Spirit's here caring for your life. Jesus is God caring for your life. It's the only kind of care that will do. If you don't understand it, that's okay. You start talking with God. Say, I, I hear what that dude says, and I agree intellectually, but I need that to be expounded on in my heart, Lord. Well, the Holy Spirit groaneth with utterances, words that can't be uttered inside of your heart, persuading you of the care God's taken of your life. 
right? So tell the Lord. I believe what that guy said, Lord, but there's parts of my heart that don't know. Don't be afraid of your heart. Come to the Lord with boldness, it says. Come to the throne of grace with boldness. Tell him, I don't know. I believe what that dude said, but I don't know, and my heart's scared, right? And he will begin ministering to you the care he's taking for your life. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you're in us. That when you poured out the Holy Spirit, you just didn't, you didn't pour out some different thing, but you poured out yourself so that you can dwell inside of us and you can talk to us and draw us into a conversation where you show us that you have cared for our lives perfectly. Thank you, Lord, that you bring us to the place where we can see that you've cared for us and we lay down the life that we have from the world. Thank you, Father, that you're working liberty and freedom in us, that all the chains and the shackles that have tried to bind us with trauma be broken off of us by the word of your incorruptible life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you guys so much. I love all y'all. Thank you for letting me get that out.